Well, good morning. And happy Father's Day to all you uh, dads out there and grandfathers. Uh, on Mother's Day, I uh, shared a, a little bit about my mom and, and kind of some of those things I remember best about her and the example she set uh, for, for me and my sister. Now, when I think of my dad, I think of little different thoughts. Um, you know, my mom, caring, nurturing, loving. Whenever I think of my dad, I think character building for some reason. Uh, I think of the countless hours that I spent with my nose in the corner um, or on top of the freezer. Um, I actually have a picture to demonstrate my, the proof of this, uh, of this, I think, maybe, maybe not. Doug, no. Okay, well, unfortunately, you don't get the experience of that. Uh, come back next hour and you'll see the picture, hopefully. Uh, but one of my dad's uh, favorite things when I was little, when I would annoy him in the, in the kitchen, would be to put me on top of the freezer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I have a, I have proof of that, by the way. That's not one of those things I made up or uh, the time I remember uh, kind of coming back to, uh, into consciousness, uh, lying on my back uh, in uh, on the on the front yard after uh, helping my dad mow the lawn and the lawnmower died. And so uh, to find out if it had a spark or not. Brian, why don't you hold the spark plug while I pull the pull start? That's my dad. Yep. <laughs> Dads are meant for character building. I'm grateful for all of those lessons. And, and I don't know if that speaks more to my, uh, uh, my, my naivety. Is that a word? Um, or to my dad's heartlessness. I'm not sure. No. <laughs> I love my dad. My dad's a great man, but uh, he definitely helped me uh, build character as I grew up. Well, I was thinking this week of, of um, uh, this, this sermon series, uh, This Not That, from Ephesians chapter 4. And, and I was reminded of uh, when I was in high school. You know, we would often go to uh, different conferences and, and youth events where there would be youth speakers. And, and those youth speakers would give up, get up in front of everybody and they would, they would share about all the things we weren't, weren't supposed to do or the things we were supposed to do. And I can remember on several different occasions a, a speaker would be talking and they would say something like, yeah, you know, you shouldn't, uh, you, you know, you need to be obedient to your parents or you need to follow God. And, you know, I don't, I don't follow sometimes. I make mistakes. For example, I got up in the middle of the night and I went and had a bowl of ice cream. And, or, uh, yeah, you know, I was re-getting my license the other day and they asked me for my weight and I put five pounds less. And they would act like, you know, they were identifying with us over five pounds on their driver's license or they were they were connecting with us in with sin because they had an extra bowl of ice cream. And I remember talking with some of my my buddies and saying, wow, that's the worst that they did, um, because I seem to recall my sins aren't near as pleasant as theirs. Well, for example, about that time in my life, I remember a a uh, a friend that I had, and uh, he was a family friend, and he lived just down the road from uh, where I did, about a mile away. And, and uh, uh, he was a good guy. He was a little older than me, but he was a he was a good kid. Still, is a good man. Um, and he sometimes didn't have a lot of social awareness, but he was still very kind-hearted and gentle. And 
one day, it was, it was actually my birthday. I can't remember which birthday, but I was in high school. And my friend came over. It was a Sunday afternoon, and he came up. He knew it was my birthday, and so he came up. And my family, uh, my mom's side of the family, had all come up to visit. And for some reason within my brain, I just was really upset that he came over on my birthday because my family was there, and it was my family time. And, and, and I got... Uh, I was upset with him, and he took forever to leave, and the next morning on the school bus, uh, he wasn't on the school bus that morning, and, and some uh, mutual friends of ours, we were talking, and, and my friend's name came up, and I just expressed my total frustration with him, and how dare he come up to my house on my birthday, I know, um, and, uh, and how inconsiderate, and, and I said, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of a filthy leech. Yeah. So that's the end of it, I thought. We went to school. Well, that night, my mom got a phone call from my friend's mom, wanting to know why I called her son, who uh, she thought was my friend, a leech. And so my mom, very upset at me, came to me and said, Brian, what on earth were you thinking calling him a leech? He's a kind-hearted kid. That, uh, he's, your, he's a good friend to you. And I looked my mom in the eye, and I said, didn't say it. I wouldn't say that about him. Uh, I said, you know the kids who told him that. You know the reputation they have. They're a bunch of troublemakers. They're just trying to get me in trouble. I wouldn't say that about him. So my mom called up my friend's mom and said, well, Brian says he never said it. And uh, those kids were lying. And she believed my mom. And my mom believed her. And my friend believed me. And uh, that was a lie. I lied. I manipulated the situation. I used my uh, my reputation, my good reputation, against the poor reputation of our other friends. And you know who was really damaged as a result of that lie? It really wasn't my friend. He moved on. He believed me, right? My friend's mom, she believed that I was a good kid. She knew me. She knew my family. And uh, she moved on. My mom believed me. And she trusted my word, and, and so she moved on. But it damaged me. You know, I, I had to live with that lie, the lie that I made on, on multiple uh, counts here. I lied to my mom. I lied to my friend. I spoke poorly of a friend. I, I abused the reputation of some other kids. And they all moved on. But I, I kept that burden. And I, and I still feel bad about that lie, even though it was about 25 years ago when I made it. That lie had a lingering impact on me. So I think that's why we find warnings against such activities and such uh, uh, things that come out of our mouth in this passage that we're reading in this This Not That sermon series in Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to read that again this morning, focusing in on truth and falsehood. Let's read it together, starting in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however... Did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you have heard, you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind 
and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands, his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So this sermon series that we're on, This Not That, is, is about putting off the old self, that self that, was pre, that predated Christ's involvement in our life, and putting on the new self that Christ is encouraging us, the example that he set for us, that new self that he wants of us as we follow him. So this week we're focusing in on verse 25 of chapter 4, uh, where it says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. This week we're putting off falsehood and putting on truthfulness. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self uh, with its practices. It's interesting to me that it says lying is a, is a practice. Right? It's, lying is a practice. And, and so I never trust that person who says, yeah, I lie once in a while. Right? Lying is, is a practice. It's a habit. And it's something that we need to put off, that we need to intentionally work on. You know, I uh, read a, a joke this week uh, that I thought was pretty interesting. I, I thought I would share it with you. It's, a, it's about a pastor, which makes it even more interesting, right? Uh, well, there was a pastor one day, and, and he was uh, walking down the road. And he saw a, uh, a group of boys, young boys, about 10, 12 years old. And they were surrounding this little uh, um, mangy dog. And worried for the safety of the dog, the, the pastor walked up to the boys and said, What are you doing with this dog? You need to leave this dog alone. The boys turned around to him and they, and they said, uh, Well, pastor, we, this is just a, n- a neighborhood stray and we all want him. And so we decided that uh, whichever of us could tell the biggest lie uh, gets to keep the dog. Well, the pastor was just shocked. He was aghast that they would tell lies like that. And so he starts in on him and he says, he says, don't you know that the Bible says that lying is a sin? And he proceeds to go on for about 10 minutes, giving them a lecture, a little mini sermon on the evils of lying. And he, and he ended it with, you know, when I was your age, I never told a lie. Well, he was met with quite a bit of silence and uh, awkward pause and a little few little foots kicking the dirt and a sigh or two. And finally, the, the smallest of the kids looks up and he goes, all right, give the dog to the pastor. <laughs> you know, lying, lying is, a, is a dangerous habit. It's a dangerous uh, practice. 
And it has a negative impact on our lives. You know, I, I mentioned that, that lie that I told and, and the burden that I, I felt of, of lying for years. And I asked for forgiveness of that lie. I, I, I don't know that I ever told my friend. I don't remember if I ever told my mom or not uh, so many years back. But I can tell you that even though I know that I'm forgiven in Jesus for those things, the fact that I betrayed confidence and I, and I betrayed my friend has been a burden that I've carried. Uh, lying has a negative impact on our lives. It destroys something within us for every lie that we tell. For example, uh, falsehood destroys uh, trust. It destroys trust. It destroys how much faith others can put into you. And you may think it's no big deal. You may be lying about something that's, that's very insignificant, but that little lie, as insignificant as it may be, eventually adds up. And little by little, our credibility is eroded uh, step by step as, as we uh, lie more and more. You know, Albert Einstein said this. He said, anyone who doesn't take truth seriously in small matters cannot be trusted in large ones either. You know, if you're willing to lie about something that's insignificant, then what are you not willing to lie about? Uh, lying destroys others' trust in us. Uh, falsehood, lying, also destroys our personal integrity. And our integrity is the foundation for our overall character. You know, that, that what defines us as a person, that faith and trust that others can put in, into us. Uh, there's a quote that I've lived by, or I've attempted to live by, uh, with some success and many failures. It comes from uh, Thomas Paine. He says, character is much easier kept than recovered. You ever heard that one before? Character is much easier kept than recovered. And when we have falsehood and lying as an identifying trait of who we are, then our character is eroded, our integrity is eroded. And once that character is gone, it's very, very difficult for anyone to think of you uh, any differently. Uh, Falsehood destroys our integrity. Falsehood also destroys unity. Unity. Uh, falsehood destroys unity because unity is based on mutual care. Think of unity within the body here at Southside. It's based on mutual care, a common purpose, uh, respect for other people, and a trust that's developed over the years. And if you can't trust someone then, then you doubt the, and you doubt their integrity or their character, then your willingness and your ability to work together with that person, to be united with that person really in anything, is diminished. Even if you like the person, right, even if you care for that person, if you don't trust them, then why would you want to work together with them? Why would you want to be united with them in anything? You know, uh, Doug Woodward and I were, were roommates in college, and we had a, a friend that uh, was, a, was a fun guy. Uh, we loved it when he came over and we would hang out with him. He, he told great stories, uh, uh, great stories, right? In other words, he told great lies, and uh, they were outrageous, man. They were, he was a, a cliff diver and a, and a bouncer in a bar. And, and he had friends that were like eight feet tall and 400 pounds. And, um, and I mean, we, we, we loved his stories. But the more we realized that his stories were just fabrications, the less that we trusted him. And we found out that he would lie in the little insignificant things, little things that didn't matter. And then as we started to put two and two together, we saw that he would lie about more serious things. You know, he wasn't trustworthy. And so our willingness to, to spend time with him even, to, to work with him on projects in, in, in school, 
or to go beyond just a surface-level relationship with him, uh, were negatively impacted. So his, his integrity, his trustworthiness, uh, undermined the unity that we had as friends. So where does this falsehood come from? Where do lies originate within us? Well, I believe this is my, this is my take on it based on some scriptural support, but my take on where falsehood, where lying comes from, it comes from two places within us. The first is a place of self-preservation. Okay, self-preservation, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Or the other place it comes from is a place of pride, or the flip side of pride. Maybe you haven't thought about this before, but pride is like a coin. On one side is high self-esteem, and on the other side, low self-esteem. Low self-esteem is a form of pride as well. So lying usually comes from from one of those two sources, self-preservation or pride slash low self-esteem. So let's look at uh, self-preservation for a moment. Self-preservation is a, is a desire to keep ourselves out of trouble or to protect ourselves from shame, consequence, or embarrassment. And that's where, what uh, I'm talking about, self-preservation. In Scripture, we see this a couple places, in the book of Genesis specifically. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of Adam and Eve and the snake and the fruit. Familiar with that story? Okay, the Adam and Eve are, are, are seduced, or Eve specifically seduced by the snake. She's tricked. She believes the tantalizing words of becoming like God, and so she, uh, she falls, and she eats of the tr- tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, 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 uh, and then she, what does she do? She tricks her husband, and she leads him astray as well. And so when they're confronted about it, what do they do? They shift blame. They basically lie, right? No, it wasn't me, basically. I'm not to blame. The snake tricked me. That's Eve's claim, right? Or Adam, it wasn't my fault. This woman, this you gave me, uh, she led me astray. Okay? They, were, they were desiring to preserve their self, you know, who they were in God. They didn't want God to think poorly of them. Uh, so they tried to preserve their image. Uh, Adam and Eve in Genesis Chapter 3, we see this self-preservation mode kick in when they're confronted with their sin. Just a chapter later, in Genesis chapter 4, we find the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, right? They both prepared an offering to give to the Lord. And so they presented their offering. And and Cain brought forth a a, a grain-type offering. And and Abel brought forth an animal sacrifice. And and God chose Abel's as the greater sacrifice. And so he complimented him on it. And Cain became jealous, right? And so what did Cain do to Abel? Killed him, right? He said, fine, God likes you better. I'm going to get rid of you. And then when he's confronted with it, he does what? Preserves himself or attempts to by saying, hey, I don't know where he is. He's probably just out and about. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. Liar, right? He lied uh, to preserve himself. Okay, so that's one of the sources, self-preservation. The other side is, is our pride, our self-esteem. That's wanting to look better than we really are, right? We want others to think more highly of us than, than we really deserve or to protect our image that we've created of ourselves. In Scripture, we find this in Acts chapter 5. I encourage you to read that this week, Acts chapter 5, with the story of Ananias and Sapphira who have heard the word of of people who are being generous and they're getting recognition for their generosity in the early church. And so uh, these people are selling their possessions and they're giving to the poor and 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 people are are noticing and they're, um, you know, getting pats on the back and 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 thought very highly of as a result of that. And so 
Ananias and Sapphira decide, well, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to sell some property that they have, and they're going to get some recognition too. And so they do so. They, they sell their property, but they keep some of it for themselves. But they lie, and they say, hey, we've given it all to the church. And as a result, the Holy Spirit sets an example of them. Uh, they lied, though, because they wanted to appear generous. And they wanted uh, people to think highly of them. They wanted the, the uh, applause they wanted their pride stoked just a little bit. So falsehood comes from a place of either self-preservation or pride or low self-esteem that lives within us. So this is what we're supposed to put off. This is the things that we're supposed to not do any longer. And the opposite of that, the, the this, not that, is truth, truthfulness. Uh, John MacArthur, I read uh, a quote from him this week where he defined truth, and I really liked this definition. It's kind of lengthy. Stick with me here for a second, but it goes like this. He said, here's a, here's a definition drawn from the Bible, uh, from what the Bible teaches. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, and glory, uh, and being of God. So I'll read that again. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, and being of God. Even more to the point, truth is the self-expression of God. That's the biblical meaning of truth, because the definition of truth flows from God. Truth is theological. Okay, so he's saying truth finds its roots in theology, in God, in the person, the being of God. As the source of life, he is the source of truth. Uh, but he continues, he says, truth is also ontological. Familiar with that word? You probably used it three or four times this week, right? Ontological. Which ontological, that is just a fancy way of saying uh, the way things really are. Okay, reality, in other words. Uh, reality is what it is because God declared it to be so and made it so. Therefore, God is the author, the source, the determiner, the governor, the arbiter, and ultimate standard, a final judge of all that is truth. Okay, so again, saying that it's a reality, there's a reality to it, as well as a theological definition, there's a reality that truth is from, ultimately, God. That he's the creator of it, he's the, the determiner of it, he oversees the truth, he protects the truth, and he is by what we judge all truth. Truth is our reality, and it has been defined, created, and revealed by God. And he has revealed that truth through what? Well, through his word, right? In John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. His word is truth. And this revealed truth, when applied to our lives, leads to blessings. Okay? There, are, there are good things that happen to us as believers when we have a life that is lived based on truthfulness. For example, Proverbs 12, 9. Proverbs 12, 9. This is just a portion of 12, 9. But it says this. It says, truthful lips endure forever okay you see the blessing attached to truthfulness blessing attached to it is that there is something about truthfulness that endures that lives on okay we believe that as children of god as as followers of jesus who have been signed sealed delivered by the cross in his blood that we will endure forever and that truth lives inside of us and so we live with him forever or how about this one found in proverbs twelve twenty two. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful, and women too. Right? He delights in truthfulness. Okay, so the blessing attached with this is, as we live lives defined by truthfulness, God is pleased. Right? He delights in that. 
within us. And I can't help but imagine that blessing flow with, towards those who God is pleased. Or this one found in John chapter 8, verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what's, the, what's the blessing here attached to truthfulness, to the truth? Freedom. That's right, freedom. Freedom within Christ. Freedom from our old way of, self, of living. Our old life defined by falsehood is free in the truth. Those are some pretty good blessings, if you ask me. And Scripture is filled with more and more blessings attached to truthfulness. But we know that truth leads to blessings, but this revealed truth from God, it also, when put into practice, leads to reliability or credibility, trustworthiness within us. The great theologian Edward R. Murrow, okay, you guys will probably get that one a little bit more, right? No, he wasn't a theologian, he was what? A newscaster, right? A reporter, a journalist. But he had a great quote. He says this. He says, To be persuasive, we must be believable. To be believable, we must be credible. And to be credible, we must be truthful. Okay? Even Edward R. Murrow, I don't know his, his religious affiliation, if he was a, a man who followed Jesus or not, but it doesn't matter because even the world knows that there's something about truthfulness that builds that character, that integrity, that reliability, that trustworthiness within us. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Okay, better is a person who walks in, his, walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. And there's something, there's something about truthfulness that I think we all appreciate. Now, sometimes... We might wish that people tickle our pride and not be quite so truthful, right? Uh, that, there is that. But overall, the people we trust the most, the people that we put the most credibility in, people that we see as reliable are the ones who base their lives on truth, that are good according to their word. Okay, so question here, final question, is why do we do this? Why do we put off falsehood? Why do we put on truth? Just because God tells us to, okay, that's a good enough reason. But actually, Paul in this passage in, in 425 of Ephesians tells us, and it was a pretty simple explanation. You remember it from the beginning? I'll reread it. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? You remember? For we are all members of one body. Okay, there, there's something about being part of a body, a part of a family, that depends on trustworthiness, that depends on reliability and integrity and character. There's something about being a family that we look out for each other, and sometimes that means calling each other out when our truthfulness starts slack. Maybe it's a mouthful of soap or, again, a, a few minutes on top of the freezer. But we're all part of one body, and nothing destroys unity in the body more than falsehood. And nothing promotes unity within the body, within the family, more than truthfulness. So what are we going to do with that? Are we going to live lives uh, the old way, uh, false, falsehood and lies? Or are we going to be known for the new self, truthfulness, reliability, character? Uh, hopefully each of you. Uh, we'll take that point home this week and work on being more and more truthful.
because it takes work. It's something that we have to put effort into. It's something that we have to focus in on or else we can let our character and integrity lapse. What are you going to do with it this week? I hope that you will continue to put on truth in your life. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the time that we have each week to worship you in truth and in spirit. And I thank you for the time that we have each week to come before you and open your word and and to look at the words that it contains and how it can lead us into a greater understanding of who you are and to appreciate more and more the truth uh, of who you are and who your son is and what he accomplished for us. And I pray, Father, that as we do those things each week, as we spend time in that worship and we spend time in your word, that you will mold us to be more and more like you. And you are truth. And there is no falsehood anywhere within your being. And we desire that for each of us here today as well. And with that, Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we uh, prepare for our time of offering, I'd invite our worship team to come forward. But I have a couple challenges for you. Now, I have to say this. uh, This week, as as I was going about my week, uh, it was a pretty busy week, but about Thursday came along, and my wife said, um, how are you doing on your take-at-homes? Now, I thought she would meant my uh, the ones I'm making for you all this week. I said, oh, I think I've got them done. I think I've, I've come up with a good one. She's like, no, I meant the ones you did last week. What, what book have you read? Have you memorized your scripture? Um, n- no. Well, so we worked on it. And so uh, I have to say that uh, uh, it's, it's, I'm working on these things too. But First Peter 2.24. Let's memorize it. I'm working on it. I promise. Uh, we got a couple weeks left to, to figure this one out. So let's say it together this morning. Let's memorize First Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We're putting off the old and putting on the new. We're dying to sin and living for righteousness. Let's remember that. Second one this week. Consider the truthfulness of your words. What are you defined by? When people hear you say that you will do something... Do they know it's going to get done or do they know it might or might not get done? Okay, that's, consider that. How good is your word? Are you destroying or promoting trust and unity within your home, your work environment, and your church family? Our words have power. Our word has power. It has the power to, to, to build and it has the power to tear down. What are you doing with your word? What are you doing uh, with your truthfulness. Consider that this week. If you need help with that, well, now's the time to respond. If you need accountability, now's your chance. And that's what this church is for. That's what the church is for, is to help each other to, to, to greater things than what we are currently doing, to greater character than where we're currently at. And so as we respond during this song, I'd invite you to, to consider those things. If you need help in any of these areas, ask for help. That's what we're here for.